So John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, um, it reads this way. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. The feast that it's referencing is the Passover and uh, the beginning of this chapter tells us that it is less than a week away from the Passover, and that's the Passover where Jesus will be crucified. So it is, the beginning of the chapter was Sunday morning. Jesus is going to be crucified on Friday at about 9 a.m. Um, and so it's, it's, it's coming. It's, and people, the Greeks are there for this feast. And it says, then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now notice that verse, because most of the time, up until this point when Jesus was asked to do something, he would say the hour has not yet come. And yet now Jesus recognizes, okay, it's here. Like, it's like the stroke of midnight, if you will. Like the time has come, he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. I've titled this message, if you take notes, The End of an Era. The End of an Era. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word, and we thank you that, God, you give us direction and clarity in the midst of confusion and change. And God, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would reveal yourself to us in a fresh way, something that will help us as we journey in life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The end of an era. My, my parents uh, just recently decided that they're going to sell their house. Um, and uh, we grew up in this house. This is the house, like, I think we moved there when I was maybe eight or nine. I know for a fact I had my 10th birthday there, but I can't remember. Um, like, you know people are like, my earliest memory when I was like one years old, I think my earliest memory was like maybe 10. <laughs> like, I really struggled. Like, was that? And you know when you see photos, you get confused too. Like, do you remember that, or do you just remember seeing a photo of that? Um, anyways, my parents are, are selling their house um, that we grew up in, like it's the the house we got our dog in. Um, it you know like all these things, like it's it's an end of an era. Well, just this this week or about a week ago, um, Shane and I went up to the house uh, because my parents were out of town. Don't judge my parents for this, but they were out of town and they texted us and they're like, we're out of town and the dog's there. We didn't ask anybody to feed them or anything. Do you think one of you guys could go by and feed the dog? And we're like. Uh, they're like, we left dry food out for him. I'm sure it's fine, but like maybe you could go and give him a can. And my dog eats cat food, so a can of cat food. Um, and we're like, yeah, sure, we'll go do that. Okay, don't judge us. It's just, it's, it's Coco. He's kind of a weird little thing. We're convinced, this is horrible to say again, please don't judge me. But we're convinced that when the house sells, like he'll, he'll probably just die there. Like that will be like the end of the era officially, like Coco will die in that house. We can't imagine like moving him to the other house. Um, whatever the case, my parents are selling the house, and Shane and I went over there to feed the dog. And we get there, like, no joke, we're, we're pulling up into the house, and we're like, this looks different. 
And like my parents, have, they've painted the outside of the house. They've like cleaned up bushes. Like they got a new mailbox. They like painted the door. Like we walked inside. Like our parents' room is like totally remodeled. Our bedroom is like all painted. Like we're like, what even is this house? We're like, I don't even care if they sell this house because this is not the house I grew up in. Like it was so dramatically different. We're like, where was all the clean, nice, painted stuff when we lived there? It was like overgrown and out of control, and now they're selling it. It looks great. Like, I kind of want to move back in there. Whatever the case, um, it's like an end of an era, but for me, it's kind of like, ah, good riddance. Like, it doesn't even matter anymore. The reason I say that is because sometimes life changes. The seasons come and go. Like, you, you grew up in this house, you're selling the house, you move on. Like, that, that's kind of life. Now, in our text, what we just read, Jesus is about to go to the cross. Like I said, he's, he's less than a week away from ultimately being crucified on the cross for the sins of humanity. So he's on his way, and he tells us that he knows that his time is coming. His earthly ministry is ending, but his, it's the beginning of his eternal work. That Jesus, he's, he's lived, lived some 30-odd years uh, on planet Earth. He's been healing people. He's been performing miracles. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been, he's been doing all of these remarkable things. And that season of his journey is over. And he's about to go to the cross. And on the cross, he is going to pay for the sins of all of humanity. The Bible speaks of this once and final sacrifice that Jesus performed this work. That forever and ever, people that place faith in him could have forgiveness of sins, right standing with God, and enter into the life that God has for them. So his earthly ministry is ending, but his eternal work is just beginning. And I think like that, we need to recognize that life is filled with change, whether it's finishing school year or, or, or moving or, or a new job or, or a new relationship or whatever it is, life is always changing. But in the change, we see consistency in Christ and we need to recognize the change and grow in it. And from this text, we learn a couple things about change. Number one, you could jot this down. When something ends, something stays. When something ends, something stays. Now, the story begins kind of funny where we're told that these, these Greeks come up to a guy named Philip and they ask him if, if they can meet Jesus. Now, again, I mentioned that the Passover was happening. This was an annual feast that happened where the Jews would remember the work that God did when he delivered them out of bondage to the Egyptians and ultimately into the promised land. So this, this, this celebration would go all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus where this event took place called the Passover where, where, the, where the angel of the Lord passed over the people and delivered them from bondage to the Egyptians. So every year they would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. Now we're told of Greeks. Greeks would be not Jews. So these Jews were come, or excuse me, these Greeks were coming along with the Jews to celebrate the Passover. So at some point in their life, these Greeks recognized that the God of Israel was the true and living God. And so these people, they, they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And however it happened, they had heard rumors or heard teachings or seen miracles of this guy, Jesus. Perhaps they saw when Jesus turned over the money changers' tables 
in the temple. You, you guys heard this story where, where Jesus, we're literally told Jesus makes a whip. He goes into the temple because there were all these money changers. In other words, there would be people standing in the outer court of the temple that you would have to get past. And basically, they were telling that you need to exchange money and get money so that you could purchase certain things in order to provide money for the sacrifice in the temple. And Jesus did not want to see any boundary or anything keeping people from being able to enter in and worship. So Jesus literally makes a whip, goes in there, and drives out the money changers from the temple. And really making a way, because it would have been in the court of the Gentiles, that first, most outermost court of the temple, and providing a way, perhaps, showing a way that says, listen, you don't have to pay money or do this, that, or the other in order to come in and worship God. And maybe the Greeks that were there, that the, the tables were set up in the court that they were allowed access to, saw this Jesus drive them out, and they're like, we got to meet that guy. Like, that guy, we got to get to know him. So they come up, and we're told that they're in, they introduce themselves to a guy named Philip. Now, What's unique about this is Philip was the only apostle with a Greek name. The name Philip wasn't a Hebrew name. It was a Greek name. And if you want to know what it means, it means lover of horses. <laughs> so they come up to this guy who apparently loves horses. They introduce themselves and they say, hey, that guy, Jesus, we, we want to meet him. How can we meet this character, Jesus? And because of, and only because Philip had a Greek name, they felt comfortable enough to go up to him and say, hey, we want to meet Jesus. Now, I don't know for certain, but I got to imagine that Philip, being a follower of Jesus, who was a Jewish man, who was a Jew himself and yet had a Gentile name, a Greek name, I, I got to imagine that there was at least moments or seasons of his life where he, following Jesus where he's like, why am I the one guy that doesn't have a Hebrew name? You know what I mean? He would stick out like a sore thumb, so much so that these Greeks say, Philip, yep, let's talk to him. And maybe there was times, or seasons, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but maybe there was times and seasons where he's like, man, why am I the one? Like, why, why don't I have the name like Bartholomew or whatever the other names, Peter or whatever it was? And because of his name, these guys felt comfortable enough to go up to him and say, hey, we want to meet Jesus. And the reason I say all of that is because at some point, Philip had a conversion, found himself in relationship with Jesus, was walking with God, was going with him. And yet his name really signified something that was a part of his past. It was something he was before Christ. This, this is who he was, Philip. That was his name. That's where he came from. That was, it said so much about his life and so much about his story. And yet, even after he's following Jesus, his name remains Philip. But did you know that Jesus, like, changed names for some of his apostles? Like, Peter was called Simon before he was called Peter. And the reason for that was, was Jesus was making a declaration and saying, like, Peter, like, you are going to be a foundation, a, a, really a pillar, a, a key part of the whole gospel spreading. And maybe Philip with the one Greek name was like, why didn't you could have changed my name, too? Like, help me fit in a little bit better. And yet Philip was a guy with the name Philip the whole way. 
But because of that, because of that reality, his name stayed, all of a sudden there was an open door for these Greeks to feel comfortable and welcome to go up to him and say, like, hey, we need to meet Jesus. And I say all of that because when things change in your life and when circumstances change, you've got to recognize that you always carry stuff with you. And let me speak just for a moment for the seniors that are graduating. So if you're not a senior graduating, don't tune me out. But if you are, tune in a little bit better. <laughs> recognize that this whole journey that you've just experienced, you are, it's over, that chapter is done, you turn the page on that chapter, it, it's past. But recognize it wasn't just about getting through high school or getting through that season, but there was things and moments and situations and circumstances that God wants you to carry with you as you go on to that next step. That maybe it's a lesson you learned, or maybe it's a relationship you had, or maybe it's a person that you met, or whatever it was. There's something that God wants you to carry with you as you step into the next thing. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a difficult season that you went through that maybe you can think back in like my 10th grade year or my, my 7th grade year or whatever it was was so difficult for me because of this, that, and the other. And maybe that is something God wants you to carry with you so that you can now be a blessing and a beacon of hope for somebody that is experiencing something similar. And I think, yeah, when things change, things change. And when we go into something new, it's something new. And when something ends, we got to recognize that something always stays with us. And God is, I like to say that God doesn't waste a thing. God doesn't waste a moment. God doesn't waste a circumstance. There's nothing that you've gone through in your life that was just like, well, that was a waste of time. You ever been there? We're like, what? why did we do that? It was such a waste of time. Nothing is wasted with God. I had a friend um, who went with us on a mission trip a couple years back. We were in El Salvador on a mission trip. And uh, he would always get frustrated with all all of us, but particularly the girls. And it just happened to go this way because when we'd go through the food line, they would put stuff on their plate that they knew they weren't going to eat. Like we'd go through the food line and pretty much every meal was like rice, beans, maybe a vegetable, and maybe like some chicken or something like that. And there'd always be something that just kind of looked a little funny. You know, we're in a third world country, just like don't ask questions, just hopefully you don't get sick. And, and every time they'd put it on their plate and then they would throw it away. And he'd be like, why, why are you put? just don't put it on your plate. Like you're not, you're not being nice by wasting stuff. He's like, just, just Pass by that thing in the food line. Don't eat it. And you get so frustrated because he felt like it was such a waste. And sometimes we look at life like it's the beans or the weird vegetable that's on there. Or like, is that thing moving? Like, what even is that? Like, we look at seasons of our life like that. But you got to recognize there's nothing wasted with God. You can look back and you're like... Well, in high school, my, my parents got divorced or, or, or in high school, like this person broke up with me or, or in this situation, I lost this or, or, or this happened. And we think, what a waste. Why did I go through that? Listen, nothing is wasted with God. And when you can trust in him and when you can look for what he's doing in the middle of it, you can see that you carry something with you even when you start something new. Second thing I want us to see is that when something ends, something starts. When something ends, something starts. Jesus tells them that now his hour has come. It's time for him to go to the cross. Look at verse 27. Um, it's at the end of the, the section we just read, or the beginning of the next section. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour, speaking of the cross. He says, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus recognizes, he says, this moment, this hour, this situation, what I'm about to experience and what I'm going through now, this is the reason I'm here on planet Earth. He says, Should, God, could I pray save me from this hour? He says, no, this is why I'm here. Now, he, he says that this is the hour that I've come. It's time for him to go to the cross. And then he illustrates it with a seed. It's kind of random. Jesus, we know, likes seeds. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been going through a series, Jesus talking about seeds. Right, throwing seeds on the wayside, in the thorny ground, in the stony ground. Like, Jesus loves seeds. And he does it again, verse 24. He says, most assuredly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Jesus, he's speaking, uh, you know, again about farming, about agriculture. And he says there's this reality that happens that when a seed goes into the ground, when it comes out, it no longer is a seed. The seed ceases to exist when you plant a seed. You don't plant a seed and then get a bunch more seeds. I mean, you do, but not in the sense of like it just looks like a seed still. What happens is a seed goes into the ground and it dies, and then it's germinated by good soil and by water and by sunlight and photosynthesis and all that other stuff you learn in high school or maybe in middle school. I don't know. And then it, 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 it grows. It died. No longer is it a seed, and it comes up, and it's able to ultimately bear fruit. One of the interesting things about, about fruit-bearing trees is that they are designed to produce more fruit. Like the way God designed it, like an apple, where the seeds are in an apple tree is in the apple, right? And the design by God is that when a seed goes into the ground and it has all the right things that it needs and it ultimately produces an apple tree, that an apple's going to go and God expects that somebody's going to see that apple they're going to be like, wow, this is a delicious looking apple. They're going to eat the apple. They're going to continue on their journey. They're going to be done with it. And they're going to go, Phew. they're going to throw it. And what happens is the way God designed it is it's in the core of the apple is the seeds. That goes back into the ground. And that process begins again. God designed it that way. So that the, that way, like the pretty nice looking, good tasting part, we carry with us so that it can continue to reproduce. But what he says here is that until the seed dies and until the seed ceases to exist, it can never bear fruit and become something valuable. He's saying that, that when the seed dies, then it becomes something of value. And the reason I say all of that is because when life is changing, you've got to recognize that when something ends or when something dies or when a chapter is over, that allows for the next thing to be given life. Jesus is saying is that he's transitioning into his new ministry. He's saying, I'm going to die just like the seed. He's going to die, but then he's going to come out with this new life that he promises. And he says, and then he turns to us and gives us the same application. Look again, verse 25. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. In other words, he who holds on to his life. And then he says, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. He says, listen, like, like a seed, he's going to go into the ground, he's going to die, but he's going to come back. 
He says the same is true for us. He says if anybody hates or, excuse me, loves his life, he'll lose it. But if you want to have life, the life in the way God designed it to have, he says you've got to hate your life. Now, make this clear. He's not talking about self-hate. He's not talking about you've got to just be down on yourself all the time and you've got to feel bad all the time and you've got to actually hate yourself. What he's talking about is a bigger principle of what we would call self-denial. Or, or, or Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up your cross and follow after me. The, the cross was always a representation of, of sacrifice, of end. And so he says, if you want the life that God promises you, the life that you are designed to experience and have, you've got to recognize that it's about laying down what you have and what you want in order to take up what God has and what God wants. We must be willing, he says, to hate our life or to lay down our life. That means we freely give up what we have or what we want for the glory of God. So what does that look like? Real quick, three things. Number one, it means we got to follow him. we got to follow him. That means, that's what he says in verse 28. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. That means we're allowing God to direct and lead our life. You follow him by by knowing him and by choosing what honors him. We've got to, if we're going to follow God, because we talk about that a lot, right? You know, we want to follow God. And, and some of us were like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't see him. How do I follow him? So like, what are we talking about? What that means is choosing God above everything else. It means I'm going to go in the direction of God. And I'm going to make what he wants and what he's about my first choice. And so he says, if you want to deny yourself or hate yourself, what that means is you are choosing above your own emotions, above your own desires, above your own ambitions or goals. I am choosing to follow Jesus above all else. He says, you've got to follow me. But then secondly, we've got to serve him. I love that he says that. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. The word serve that's used here, it carries two ideas. One, it means to execute the commands of another. So, so that kind of sense gives somebody like, I feel like some level of authority or being in charge. Like, some, like imagine a king and saying like, we're going into battle. And then the servant would say, like, all right, we're going to lead the troops into battle. We're, like, executing the command of someone. Like, that sounds authority, like, like you have authority. But the word serve, it also means one who serves food and drinks. Which, like, that kind of, like, less authority. Like, I was a busboy. That was my first job. And let me tell you, if you're a busboy, you can relate. Or if you're a waitress or a waiter, you can relate. Like, you definitely feel like a servant when you're <laughs> serving people food. You know what I mean? Like my job at the restaurant, it was like kind of a fancy restaurant. I had to wear like, not a tie, but like a button up, like more, like fancier than this and like all black and like, and, but the thing was is the way it worked is they didn't want the people eating at the restaurant to ever see the bus boy. And so like somebody would finish eating and we'd have to be like ninjas and like go out there like, like pick up all the stuff, set the table like in the perfect way, like have the napkin and the fork and the knife and the, all the stuff. And then we had to like, disappear back into the dark. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> it was like all, like we couldn't, you couldn't be seen. And you definitely feel like a servant. And he says, he says, if you want to follow after me, if you want to learn what it means to, to lay down your life, he says, you've got to serve me. 
Now, when Jesus speaks of serving him, he would talk about in other places that when we are kind to those that need it, and when we go out of our way to show love to the people that are broken, and when we go out of our way to, to help people that are in need, he says, when you have done these things to the least of these, you're serving me. And so a way in which we serve God is by serving one another. And a way in which we serve God is by doing all that we can for the glory of God. It is to participate in what God's doing. So, so we got to ask ourselves, are, how are we serving God? Are we serving God? What does it look like for us? And as you transition into the next season, whether it's a new school year or a new school, how are you going to continue to serve God? I think one of the reasons why people stop walking with God and why people get caught up in other things is because they stop serving God. And what happens is we allow Maybe it's, it's serving ourself in the sense of like we allow sin into our life or we allow a thought into our life or we allow an action into our life. And pretty soon that thing, we start serving ourselves, and so we stop serving God. And the, when we stop serving God and when we start serving ourselves, it becomes very easy to convince ourselves that God is a bust and God is lame or God is fake or God isn't there for us because what's happened is we start serving ourselves over serving God. But when you're with God and you're walking with God and you're serving him and you're close to the things you're doing, you realize that there's no way he's a bust. There's no way that he's not concerned for your life. There's no way that he doesn't have the best for you. When you're far from him, it's really easy to go like, what about God? I don't believe that. There's no way. And what happens is we started serving self over God and then we make something up in our mind. But when you're close to God and you're walking with God and you're serving God and you're with God, you realize that actually... God's there for me and he cares for me. Final thing, follow him, serve him. We've got to desire him. Jesus said that where he is, there his servant will be also. I love that. I love the closeness of that. It's like Jesus is saying, if I'm there, somebody that's serving me is going to be there. It's like you can't get away from him. You got like that, that little sibling or that, that friend that you're like everywhere you go, you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, back off a little bit. Like, yeah, this is my room. Like, come on, come on. We need some space. And, but the reality is, is there's just that desire of like, I just, I just, what are you up to? Like, how's it going? Can we hang out? Like, where are you going? What, what are you up to tonight? Like, what's going on? Can I come? Where are you going? Can I come? And, and there's this, just this desire of, I want to be around this person. And, and he says, where, my, where I am, there my servant will be also. Listen, when, when you are choosing Jesus and when you are going with him or you are laying down your life, as he would say, what that means is you have a desire for him. I just want to, I want to be where he is. I want to be near to what he's doing. I, I, I don't want to miss out on an opportunity or, or a thing that God is doing because I was caught up in something else. I, like one of my big fears is like seeing God do something, especially in my community, like, like seeing that God's doing something here. And, and not that I want to be like the leader of it. I just want to be a part of it. Like, like I want to see God do something amazing in our community and in Vero Beach High School and Charter and, and Imagine and Storm Grove and, all, and, and Gifford Middle and all these schools. I want to see God do something. But like I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss out on what, what God's doing. I have this desire to be where he is. We need to have that desire.
Listen, in order to really grow and produce in whatever season you're in, it is to be able to let go and move forward. He says you got to let go. He says unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, he says it can't bear fruit. Maybe as you, as you journey into this next chapter, whatever that looks like, there's things that you need to hold on to, absolutely. There's lessons, there's situations, there's moments that God wants, to, wants you to keep with you for life. There's other things that are just like, it's done. That relationship, it's got to be done. That, that way of thinking or that action or that, that mindset or that whatever, it's got to be done. We've got to let go of it so that we can lay hold of that, what God has for us. I want to read one more verse to you. And worship team, you guys can come back up here. This is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. This is in the, the message translation. He says, if you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, then you don't deserve me. That's a powerful thought. He says, through thick and thin. In other words, through the good times and the bad times. He says, if you're not willing to go through that, he's like, you're not worthy of me. He says, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. He says, but, I lost it. Do we still have that verse? Thanks. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. He says, but if you forget, he says, if, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you're never going to find it. If you're like, I just need to be successful, I need to be happy, I need to get this, I need to get that, I need to go here. He says, if, if that's your first concern, you're, you're not going to get what you're looking for, and you're going to lose yourself in the process. He says, but if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Just this, a couple weeks ago, Hannah and I, uh, we went on vacation, um, and we, I had a lot of funny stories in vacation. I could go all night, but I'll share one. We got to go um, snorkeling quite a few times while we were there, and it was beautiful. Just like crystal clear, literally looked like a pool. And we went to this one beach because we heard that there was a sunken ship at this beach. And I've never snorkeled. I know we have one here, I'm pretty sure. Like the flag sticks out. I've never done it. Um, it's super weird. But here, here's my opportunity. So we went. And we swam out pretty far. We went past a bunch of um, just regular reef. And there was a lot of fish, a lot of cool things to look at. But we went past that all the way out to where this uh, sunken ship was. And we got out there. And it was this massive barge. Like huge bars, like you could see the propellers on it, like you could see, I mean, it was huge. And uh, we're looking at it, I was like, this is crazy, like how did it, how did it like sink? Why did it run aground? And uh, my brother-in-law, who is, he, he's actually a boat captain, he works on big like sh ships and like freight ships and all these different things. Um, he was like, oh, Nate, actually this was, this ship they sunk on purpose. And I was like, what? Why would they do that? Like, it's a big ship. Like, why would you sink it? And he was like, well, look at all, all the fish and the life that's on it. And, and I kid you not, there was, there was fish like this big just like swirling around our head. There was this one like little fish or a bunch of them with like this long Pinocchio looking nose that I kept thinking was going to like stab me. I was like, ugh. And it would just like swim like right by like. But there was so much, I, I kid you not, there was so much life swimming around this sunken ship and we went down and there were so like all these barnacles and the big I always forget the name of the sea urchins that's what I was looking for big sea urchins and all of this stuff on this ship and he said like they'll, people will do this will do this often 
because what it does is it creates a man-made reef and all of this life is able to now live off of this. This ship, it was old and it was useless and, and there's better technology, there's better ways to do it. So we'll sink ships like this so that the, the ecosystem and the life underwater can flourish. And I was in that moment, like we're literally out in the middle of the ocean. I was like, that's so beautiful. I was like, wow. Like we do that? That is, wow. But, but it just got me thinking about how, how so, so often in life and in seasons, we like hold on to the old, broken down, beat up ship that was a season of our life. And we're like, oh, I can't let this go. Like, this was so good or this was so. But what we don't realize is that if you let that go and let it sink to the bottom of the ocean, God's going to create new life and new seasons and better situations for you and through you because you let go of something. And so whatever season we find ourselves ending, we got to recognize that when, when we allow God to end something, he's going to start something better. And then you can look back at your life and think of like, wow, look at, look, at what, look what God did through my life. And I love that situation of the sunken ship because, because we got nothing great in return from it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like the sunken ship produced like more ships. We're like, oh, we got to sink this one because when it goes down to the bottom of the ocean, like 10 more will grow out of it. <laughs> no, we sink it really for the benefit and the blessing of a fish, <laughs> And I think our life, so often we're looking for, like Jesus said, we're looking for just to bless ourselves. And, like, we want to find ourselves, and we want, we want this, that, and the other. And he says, like, if you actually let go of yourself and you look for me, you're going to find me and you're going to find yourself in the process. This is all I want to say all after a whole 40-minute message. This is all I want to say. <laughs> Seek Jesus. Yeah. Seek after him. You'll find him and you'll find yourself. If you, seek, if you seek yourself, you'll get lost, confused, broken down, all, all over the place. If you seek him, if you make him the goal of every season of your life, you will find him because he's always near. You will find him and you'll find yourself in the process.